amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Blog Talk Radio. Hold on, Justin. It, it does this sometimes. Help with Lord to get this intro right. Kind of fickle tonight. Well, bruh, I guess it's not going to work. We are the Bride Radio as the voice of the true Bride of Christ. bride of Christ to stand up and take your place in the army in the kingdom we recognize our battle is not with flesh and blood but with the principalities and the powers of the air we are a ministry of prayer and we highlight what God is doing through other ministries and ministers across the globe we provide a platform for ministers and a place for the bride to come together and rally around each other, hold up each other's arms, and pray for one another. WATV Radio celebrates the various missions that God has called each one of us to in this army, so we desire to promote and enhance the bride as a whole. Go, bride! Our soon-coming king awaits. This is a WATV disclaimer. The views and opinions expressed in this show do not necessarily reflect the views of We Are the Bride Ministry, We Are the Bride Radio, or We Are the Bride Television. Thank you. All right, Bride, good evening. This is your host tonight, Dr. June Knight. Coming to you from Washington, D.C. Listen, tonight on Bride Time Live, I am honored to host a man of such courage in this hour in our nation. Please give it up for Pastor Justin Hoke. Yay! How you doing, Pastor Hoke? Thank you for having me on. I'm doing well. Yes, Bride, I would like to tell you a little bit about him. 
this is was written into a local paper, and if I'm wrong on this, sir, any please tell me. He is a California pastor whose church sign declaring Bruce Jenner is still a man, drew protests saying he no longer serves as pastor in order to avoid a split in his congregation. Pastor Justin Hoke of Trinity Bible Presbyterian Church in Weed, California, wrote Saturday on Facebook that he had parted ways with the church after being informed that all but one couple would quit if he remained. I do not want to leave. I did not quit, and I was willing to stay, Hoke added Monday on Facebook. He'd earlier written at that a church elder had informed him that he could no longer follow him as pastor and that most of the rest of the church intended to leave. It was determined to be in the best interest of the church for him to part his ways. Okay, so Pastor... Um, if you don't mind taking us back and telling us uh, what led up to that epic moment, sir. Um, which one? The moment where I put the sign up or the um, or the moment of, of leaving <laughs> the church? Good point. Let's go back then uh, to before all this happened. How's that? You have been pastoring that church for how long? Well, I've been the pastor out here for seven years. And um, wow. we've gone through uh, more than uh, well. We've gone through a church split, um, and uh, it's been a it's been a it's been a rough seven years. Um, but I believe that I've been faithful to continue to preach the gospel, um, to preach Christ and Him crucified, and um, uh, yeah, so. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, before you posted the bold statement um, about homosexuality, uh, in the atmosphere of the church, how was the church? Were they supportive of your vision? Like, did they, uh, did, at that point, did you feel like they believed in you and y'all was a cohesive unit, or has it just been a struggle the whole time you've been there type of deal? No, no, no. We've, um, I mean, we were uh, not the biggest church in the world, or pretty small actually, and we were a tight knit bunch. Um, and yeah, no, we we discussed all these things on a pretty regular basis as far as um, our stand um, for righteousness, our stand for the gospel. Um, before before taking this call, um, I did quite a lot of open air preaching in downtown Portland. That was my, uh, um, part of what I was doing before I, I decided to take this call in Northern California. And, and so I've always encouraged the congregation that we can't keep the truth behind the four walls of the church yeah. that we need to, if we're to be salt and light in this world, then we need to, we need to, get the Bible out to the people. We need to get the gospel out to the people. Um, and um, I had no idea, no idea that um, people would um, not be willing to stand publicly for what we they were very clearly willing to stand for privately. Exactly. Uh, what in your heart as a pastor, before we get into the actual day of what happened, 
take us back in time a little bit and let's talk about your childhood. Like, was you did you come from a big family? Are you like a second or third generation preacher, or what is your story that led up to all this? Well, no, I come from a somewhat broken home. Um, I was raised by a stepdad who adopted me um, and and my mom, and uh, they uh, um, they basically lived as um, unbelievers. Um, so grew up basically as an unbeliever. My grandma would uh, would drag us to church every once in a while, and uh, that's sort of. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, um, no. When I was a teenager, my parents joined uh, Wicca, and so that became pretty much the religion of our home and how things went. Um, uh, you know, I dabbled uh, with that because I thought girls might consider it neat uh, if I was a spiritual guy. Although I never really took it seriously, and um, when I was twenty. Um, the Lord, uh, uh, the Lord actually, uh, caught me off guard. Um, um, oddly enough, um, it was a, uh, there was a video that was being played on public access television in the Seattle area in which they were reporting on the injustice of how the LGBT before it was called that lobby had diverted successfully diverted billions of dollars from AIDS research funding to programs to distribute prophylactics condoms in schools. Wow. And and you know I I I thought that there was an injustice. So I called the the number at the end of the show and said, you know what I'm interested in knowing how I can help in the battle against, uh, you know, and I didn't use the most pleasant word um, yeah. to describe. Uh, what I was talking about and the sweet little old lady on the other end of the phone, um, she just patiently talked to me after giving me a rebuke and saying that, uh, they weren't in a war. They were trying to share the love of Jesus Christ. And, um, I gave her some snotty reply to that. And she said, let me ask you a question. Young man. Uh, do you believe, uh, do you believe in God? And I said, well, sure, I guess so there's probably a higher power up there. And she said, well, do you believe that he's all powerful? And I said, well, I already said, I believe in God. So I'm not all powerful. Of course, that's part of the definition of God. Right. And she says, well, do you believe right. in the Bible? And I said, well, no, I don't believe in that book. It's been changed by every King throughout history. By the way, I'm an expert in why it's not now. Uh, <laughs> why, why I was full of garbage back then. Um, yeah. But I told her that and she said, so let me get this straight. You're telling me that there's this all-powerful God that exists who's powerless to preserve his word. And uh, I sat there a little confused for a couple seconds, and I hung up the phone. Um, I just didn't want to talk to her anymore, and that, that bothered me. <laughs> it rang in my ears yeah. for for a couple more days. Didn't really know what to do uh, with that information um, because I'd known enough about that book know that if the God of that book was all-powerful and he did preserve his word, then I was accountable to that book, and I don't think there was a sin in that book that I didn't commit. So um, um, that led me on my journey. Um, I so was you got saved after that? 
Well, I, I, I thought I did. Um, yeah. That led me to pray in the sinner's prayer with a guy in, a, in an IHOP. <laughs> uh, he's still a good oh. friend of mine to this day. Um, but I, I, because of the way in which I'd understood the gospel, I, I didn't come to faith then. Um, I was trusting in my work of believing to save me rather than in Christ alone to save me. And so I didn't know wow, the gospel. What I'd heard was, yeah, what I had heard was pieces of the gospel, and I assumed that right. I knew the gospel. So then when I went to Bible college, because I had a zeal, and I believe God called me out from the world, but I believe I had to spend the first 10 years or so of being a Christian as kind of like uh, the Apostle Paul, you know, being a Pharisee for, you know, I got a great education. I got, um, I, I learned a lot and I became this really, um, really doctrinal guy, but I didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I could answer your questions. I could, um, uh, you know, in fact, actually, when the Lord did save me, I'm not exactly sure when it was. I'm thinking somewhere around 2006, 2007. I was sitting with my wife on the couch, and we'd been listening to a bunch of sermons from a young man named Paul Washer. He's older than me, so I shouldn't call him young, but his videos yeah. made him look young. And yeah. um, my wife asked me, she says, if if um, if we're Christians and we're supposed to love the Lord, why is it that we don't feel like praying all the time? Why is it we don't feel like reading our Bible all the time? And so. I prepared to answer a question with the doctrine of justification, which to me at that time was just a doctrine and not the gospel. And so this I is began after to answer Bible question. college, correct? <laughs> yeah, this is after seminary. Uh, wow. This was a, I'd already served as a pastor by this time. Um, <laughs> um, wow! And so I began to explain to her the doctrine of justification. I said, "Well, look, it's like this: if." On the best day when you've done everything right, everything you could possibly think of right as a Christian, you've shared the gospel with people, you've, you, you've sung hymns to the Lord, you've praised him, your, your thoughts and focus. If you were to stand before God in the righteousness of that day and say, based upon the righteousness of this day, you need to let me into heaven, he's going to say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, I never knew you. Yet on that worst day when you failed in every possible way, you, 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 you flip the guy off who cut you off in traffic. You, 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 you sped to work, breaking the law, breaking the speed limit. Yeah. You, you, you yelled at your spouse. You did everything wrong, and you just feel like you're this miserable um, Christian. How could God love you? And on that day, if you stood before God and he says, why should I let you into heaven? And your answer is, you shouldn't, except for Christ died for me, except for he took my sin upon himself on the cross and grants me to wear his righteousness in place of my wretchedness. And as I was saying that, it was, it was almost like I, 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 I stepped out and was watching it rather than saying it. And my heart began to beat. I began to get sweaty all over. And there's just, just, just joy. He died for me. He died for me. My, my sins were placed upon him on the cross. He paid the debt that I owe in full and he lets me wear his righteousness so that the Father treats me yeah. as if I'd lived his perfect life. And in that moment, my whole life changed. My ministry changed. My boldness changed. Everything about the way I approach Christianity changed. Um, wow. So beautiful. Well, after that point, 
you've already you have a church. Uh, everything shifted after you had this revelation. Okay, so now let's go on up a little bit, and now God has placed you in this church. Take us through the experience of being at this church up until this epic moment. It was kind of interesting. When I first got to the church, I began to preach um, Christ the way I just uh, explained to you um, through the gospel, his imputed righteousness. That's the heart of the gospel. In fact, the gospel is the story of three imputations, right? Adam's sin imputed to all of his children after him. The sin of the elect imputed to Christ upon the cross, paid in full. And the righteousness of Christ imputed to the believer upon repentance and faith. And, um, um, and as I'm preaching this message, it, it becomes pretty clear that this congregation has never heard the gospel before, that they, wow. that for them, the gospel was, well, they'd heard, they'd heard about Jesus. They'd heard about the cross. Yeah. But what does, right. which Jesus and what, what did he do on the cross? In fact, I would say, honestly, the majority of what calls itself Christian, even evangelical Christian in our day does not understand the cross. They don't understand what Christ accomplished on the cross. I agree. Yeah. And, yes, sir. And so I began to, to preach that, and uh, that's the core of my message because I believe Jesus teaches us in Luke 24 that all of Scripture, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, that everything is about Christ and his mission to redeem his people from their sins. And so um, I don't believe that the gospel is just the power of God unto salvation. I believe that it's the power of God unto sanctification. It is the power of God for living the Christian life. You think about it and you think, how can I forgive somebody who has wronged me? It's because I've been forgiven a debt that I could never pay. I, I'm, I'm yes. equal to everyone who will be in hell. I deserve just as much the wrath of God as everyone else, and yet yes. I've been given grace. I've received mercy, and so that's how I can how, how I can do that. So anyway, I was fired <laughs> six months in. Uh, the elders came to me and they said, uh, "You're going to drive everyone away with this with this." Uh, with this uh, with this gospel preaching, we're already Christians. We already heard the gospel. We don't need to hear it anymore. What? Stop preaching the gospel to us. Wow. And uh, wow. so um, I, I went ahead. That was Christmas. They fired me on Christmas, but my contract um, gave me four more Sundays to preach. And so I determined in my heart, I'm just going to preach the gospel for the next four Sundays. I'm just going <laughs> to preach Christ and preach pride, and we'll figure out so what we're going to do after tell that. Me they, have to, they have to put up with you for four more Sundays. <laughs> well, they ended up having to put up with me for seven more years. So um, what wow. ended up happening is that first Sunday, um, the elders, they had, they had fired me secretly. They didn't want the congregation to know because um, um, they they were afraid that some folks in the congregation that it might split the congregation. I was afraid of that as well. And the Lord doesn't need me. Yeah. The Lord can use anybody, and maybe he, you know, they were they they hired a, a gospel preacher. Maybe they maybe they'd make the same mistake twice. So my thinking was that when it came down to the two women with the baby before King Solomon, the true yeah. mother was willing to give up the baby for the sake of the baby um, while the illegitimate mother was willing to cut it in half and they were willing to split the church 
if I stayed and I was willing to um, give up the whole thing for the sake of uh, uh, just for the sake of trusting the Lord. And so anyway, that Sunday I got up and I preached a, a message from Luke 14, uh, Luke 14 verses 25 through uh, 35, which is um, considered a tough passage. It's really not that tough, but Jesus says, if you don't hate your father and mother, sister and brother, wife and children, yes, even your yeah. own life, you cannot be my disciple. And yeah. and uh, I don't I don't say that without quickly going to the cross reference in Matthew where Jesus explains, if you don't love me more <laughs> than your family, you're not worthy of me. But but that yeah. was the sermon that I preached. And when I got done preaching that sermon, um, folks in the congregation started standing up and, and asking, you know, uh, why are you leaving, Pastor? Because it had just been announced that I was that I was leaving. It wasn't announced why because we didn't want to um, didn't want to fight and didn't want to um, split the church. And so why I just kept answering. Say, what did you say when they asked why you're leaving? Well, I, I had already determined in my heart to just repeat the words. I believe that it's for the health, best um, of the congregation if I leave at this time. And so I just kept yeah. saying that, and they just kept making speech after speech. People would stand it up, but we called it a Christmas miracle. And uh, by the time we were done, the elders resigned, and uh, we had to form pretty much a new church right there. And I wow. stayed for another seven years. Um, wow. It was uh, so yeah, just like uh, um, just like the Lord Jesus started his earthly ministry by cleansing the temple, and he also ends, ended his earthly ministry by cleansing the temple. Um, we had uh, we had two uproars in my time at this church. We we started the ministry here with uh, getting fired, and we ended it here with uh, getting fired in very similar fashion. Well, now I wanted to go into this. Okay, so now we're fast-forwarding seven years. Okay, lead us up to like a week or two before you posted that sign. What happened to make you want to post it? Well, I've been preaching pretty hard on sin for the last couple of weeks, and, and not just yeah. sin, but the unity of the church and the and the ground of our unity, which is the truth, and how some... Um, how some within evangelicalism have actually twisted that great truth of the unity that we're to have in Christ. They've twisted it to say that we're to have unity even in matters of error, even in matters of wickedness. So, and and that so is I right. was very – and that's sad that, that that's happened. And so I, 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 I was preaching on that, and somebody commented to me um, – just an offhand comment said, you know, it's funny um, with some of the things going on with the LGBT lobby. Um, it's almost like maybe this could be the mark of the beast. And I said, huh, what, what are you talking about? And they said, well, yeah, you know, tell there's me. people who are not able to buy or sell or hold a job if they dare speak against it. And I said, oh my. And then later, later that night, Wow! Um, it was either that night or or a few days later. I I I was on Facebook and I see this story, uh, this very masculine looking uh, He Man drag queen. I mean, he looked like the He Man from the old He Man cartoons. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. 
blonde shoulder length hair and he's throwing a fit breaking stuff and I can't hear the audio on my thing and I'm just yeah. seeing this guy breaking stuff and it looks like he's carrying a purse maybe he's not a maybe he's, you know maybe he's I, I couldn't really tell anyway um, I turned the volume up and he's yelling at the top of his lungs you call me ma'am I'm not a sir I'm a ma'am you want to call me sir we can go outside and I'll show you sir I mean he's just being belligerent and 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 so I started the video over from the beginning and I saw what happened the young man there at the store accidentally calls this transvestite uh, sir and the man starts flipping out then this poor young kid you know probably his first job um, out of high school Uh he's begging the guy for mercy He's he's saying I'm sorry, ma'am. I'm so sorry, ma'am. I didn't mean to, ma'am. I and and just mer- the mercilessness. And then and then it it appeared from the article I saw. I don't know if this is fact. It'll have to be checked. But that the young man got fired even after begging the guy for mercy. Wow. Um, repenting and and I just said, wow, that's right. This is Mark Beast. I need to. I think when I put up that New Year's sign. I need to say something bold about this, and yeah. um, and I put up bold things all the time. I, I put up uh, I, I put up on that sign. Did. Oh yeah, yeah, I put up on that sign um, last year. I put up uh, um, missions without the gospel makes Earth a nicer place to go to hell from. Wow. Um, just before that, I'd put up. Um, you know, uh, Jesus said, it's better, or what good is it to gain the whole world, but lose or forfeit your very self? Um, yeah. Before that, I'd put up, uh, we must uh, beware of a God who is all mercy and no justice. The God of the Bible is both. And so my point with all these signs, every sign I've put up there, um, unless it's an announcement, like uh, we're having a bake sale or something, uh, which there haven't been much yeah. of those. Yeah. Every sign that I've put up has been with the purpose of provoking thought, the purpose of trying to get yeah. somebody, um, maybe even to get to get either either so touched by it that they come to church or so um, provoked by it that they give me a call and I'm able to share the gospel with them. And so uh, this sign was no different. And, um, you know, one of the things that may come out is, you know, one of the things that the elder said to me when they were um, – um, when we were splitting up was, you know, how he wished I would have asked before putting that sign up. Well, I'm sorry. I've been there what? seven years and it was never a requirement for me to ask to put up anything on that sign. Wow. And in that seven years, wow. I have begged, I've begged this congregation to take the responsibility of even doing the sign from me. It's not something yeah. that uh, I even wanted to do. So not only was in seven years was I ever required to ask anybody what I put up there, but nobody would take the responsibility from me in the whole seven right. years. Right. So and you um, there was. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, um, it's uh, it's 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 sad what's happened. As far as that well, goes. Well, what happened? Um, Did you put the sign up on a Saturday night or what? So I put the sign up on, um, I believe I put it up on New Year's, um, and I put it up uh, midday. I think it was probably about 2, two in the afternoon or so, and yeah. um, 
it was about two, maybe three days later, probably about the 4th of January that I started getting um, telephone calls and, and emails. Um, I expected to get one or two, you know, we've got some pretty rowdy neighbors that, uh, yeah. you know, don't mind telling me if they don't like something. And uh, now are you on, are so, you on a busy road or is this just a country road? <laughs> we're out in the mountains on a country road. The fact that this thing is blown up the way it has um, has meant to me that the Lord is in this. That the Lord wanted this yes. out. The Lord wanted to do something. Yes. So um, yeah, we're on a country road out in the middle of nowhere up in the mountains. So. <laughs> um, this is just like God. This is God all the yeah. way. Okay, so what so, were they saying in the emails? Was they threatening you or what? You know, nobody was really threatening. They were just, um, um, honestly, about 50% were liberal uh, quote marks surrounding the word Christians um, who were saying, uh, you're homophobic, you're transphobic, and you're hateful. Please take your sign down. Um, it was pretty straightforward message and, and it was, it was pretty obvious after about the fifth or sixth email that this was a, a unified effort because the language was the same in pretty much all oh. of them. And yeah. within two or three days, um, it was announced that there, um, one of the local newspapers picked up the story and, um, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, I, I had thought that the local newspaper had sort of, um, um, been used to um, start up the protest, but um, the newspaper assured me that they weren't trying to start up the protest, that they just wanted to report um, what they'd received from the protesters. So anyway, yeah. the protesters um, started, uh, you know, um, putting their stuff up on social media in a pretty heavy-duty way, and so um, I decided to stop responding and just post things like I normally do on Facebook. I try to encourage folks yeah. through memes or uh, gospel messages um, or even post my sermons, that sort of thing. And yeah. um, the social media-wise, it just it just kept growing and growing. Um, and, oh, no. uh, Yeah, we just, the words kept, um, the first couple of weeks, um, I didn't have one positive comment. It was it was all negative, and so we were kind of a little nervous going to church that Sunday. Um, yeah. And that Sunday, I preached the the sermon that that your your listeners will hear tonight. Um, and um, uh, the protesters, however, they they were um, peaceful. I mean, they they yelled a little bit at us. They called us some names and that sort of thing, but. Um, it, it wasn't, it, it, it wasn't really, um, intimidating even. They, um, they stayed across the street from our property, um, and they had signs and they made a little bit of noise. In fact, the newspaper made it look a whole lot bigger than it was. I think maybe they had, um, 25, 30 protesters. Um, I, I'd heard from one media source that maybe it was less than a hundred, but, um, from what, from what we saw out there, it was a lot less than a hundred. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, once once it really got picked up on uh, on 
um, national news, all of a sudden the support started flooding in from people all over the country and all over the world. And uh, yeah, um, and then of course the sign was vandalized. Someone went and destroyed it. Um, I mean, just obviously. Yeah, it was it was pretty messed up. Of course, the uh, um, protesters wanted to say it was an act of God um, because the wind blows pretty heavy up here. Which uh, the police officer was here taking pictures. you know, there's no way that an, that that the wind blowing is gonna um, is gonna have huge gouges and 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 pieces of metal stripped <laughs> off and exactly. yeah it was yeah it was clearly vandalized so um, so when did you start yeah. noticing that the church started losing support for you? Do you think they was feeling pressure from the public? Well, I was told that a couple of folks in the congregation. I was told that Sunday that a couple um, wasn't there because they they feared for their for their safety, and so they weren't going to come to church. And I was disappointed by that, but um, yeah. um, I didn't really think that much of it. In fact, uh, I was blindsided um, Saturday, the next Saturday, uh, as I was in my office preparing my sermon to preach on Sunday. Um, that was when uh um that was when um I was told that um, I was pretty much standing alone and uh wow. and one of the things that I I I I think it's important to point out in my statement I was trying to just state the facts this happened this happened this happened this happened and not um go into any of the details um, and so a lot of people have mistakenly said, you know, if if there's two people willing to stand with you, you should have stayed. And uh, one of the things that I, I'd like people to know is that those two people said they would have stood with me as they were voting to stand against me. There was no one who was going to stand with me. Wow. So there was that option, that option to stay with those two was never on the table. Um, I just wow. wanted to be fair and mention yeah. that at least they had said um, that had these events not taken place, had um, had there not been this 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 division, that they would have stayed. But there was at no yeah. point um, uh, when I finally threw my hands up. And the other thing that I would tell folks is that after having a day to think about it, I called the folks up and I said, well, I'm going to, I'm going to not resign. I'm going to stay. And, um, and they let me know very clearly that that wasn't going to happen. So. Wow. Well, so I have to ask you about your wife. Okay. I, I, we know in ministry when you're married, you know, that it affects both. I mean, it affects the entire family. So not only, yeah, you know, not only are you dealing with the persecution, the rejection, and the outrage from the community over your stand upon truth, but now you have your wife and your children. So, I mean, right. I'm not trying to get too personal, but I'm just saying uh, my heart aches for her, uh, which I know she probably supported you and everything, but what was it like for her and the children? Well, you know that saying, 
um, I want to say it's a hundred percent true that saying that says behind every every good man there's a there's a great or amazing woman, and um, that's absolutely true. Uh, my Uh-oh. wife, um, when I first told her um, that I'd put that message up on the sign, her immediate response was, "Hmm, well, do you do you really want to poke the hornet's nest?" And I said, "Well," and then I explained to her my reasons. I said. Um, I told her what I told uh, you and your listeners about about um, not being able to buy or sell um, if you stand up against this this stuff going on in the world today. Um, and and I told her about King David. I said, look, when David was a boy, he goes to he he goes to bring some food and stuff um, from his dad to his brothers who are fighting King Saul's army. And there's this giant yeah. Goliath mocking the people of God, mocking the God of Israel. And, and David, David says, I, I have to stand up against this. And so um, I explained to her that I needed to be salt and light. And uh, she prayed about it and got back to me within about an hour. And she said, you know what, I, I support you. I support you 100%. And in fact, she went and took that message and explained it to our uh, to many of the folks in our congregation that last Sunday that we were there um, during uh, conversations and whatnot. And so um, we had, uh, um, and of course the sermon, um, the sermon was not intended for the purpose of just explaining my actions of putting the sign up, but explaining right. why we have to, as the church, we have to let our light shine. Uh, we yes. have to be a city set upon a hill. We have to be light yes. and salt in this in this dark age. And you know, we're not to hide our light under a basket. We're not yes. to hide it under a bed. And yes. so, um, I hope that that well, that would be I a blessing. Well, I have to ask you. I have to ask you, sir. Um, whenever you made the decision that you would not you know, do any more harm to the church. You just decided to go ahead and step down. How was that approach taken? Did you talk to the church or did you just leave and not say anything? And then the next question is, after you finished that, when you left the church, uh, what's it been like since then? Well, um, the the leaving part we had, um, that's not completely finished. Um, I'm a man under authority and we're part of a... Um, of a denomination, the Bible Presbyterian Church. And the Bible Presbyterian Church um, very strongly stands um, against um, against sin, um, and and I think that should be known. The Bible Presbyterian Church is a very that conservative, Bible-believing yes. um, denomination, and um, yes. and so what took place was a little bit out of order. I don't have the right to just resign, and the church doesn't have the right to just um, fire me. Um, but um, we're also we're fairly new to being Presbyterian as a church and being part of this Presbyterian denomination. Uh, when I started at the church, we were Lake Shestina Community Bible Church, and we became Trinity Bible Presbyterian Church uh, just about two years ago. So a lot oh, of that. Oh wow. Right, so a lot of the right ways to do things um, in, in order, I just didn't know. And so um, uh, we just had a meeting today, earlier today, in which we discussed the right way to go and that sort of thing. 
and uh, we're going to have a meeting uh, later this week. Um, I don't suspect that I'll be the pastor again, um, but that's not even impossible. And wouldn't that be a story yeah. if the Lord restored me? Uh, the very first thing I would do is put that sign back up, which they took down pretty oh, darn oh, close oh, immediately. Yes. Oh, yes. That is the no. yes. That would now, be one, hilarious. One caveat I would make there is that I would change yes. the sign a little bit. Now, honestly, um, I would have put up originally on the sign had I – had I thought more about it, I would have put up something along the lines of um, there's still only two genders. Homosexuality is still sin. The culture may change. The Bible does not. Um, putting, so you wouldn't putting say man, his name. Right. Putting that man's name up on the sign was never, you know, I don't have anything against um, um, um Mr. Jenner at all. I mean, he'd probably be offended by me calling him Mr. Jenner. Um, I won't call him anything but Mr. Jenner, but uh, right. shoot, he was a childhood hero. He's an Olympic champion. Um, yeah. He's, um, um, I had no intention ever of, of, uh, of attacking him personally. He's, but he's also become an icon at our time. And so the, the thought going yeah. through my head was he represents um he represents this 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 movement that is going on in our culture that is now saying that they will militantly stop us from being able to buy sell or hold down jobs if we don't um if we don't affirm their sin as though we're blessed by God which is ridiculous well, I, I mean say this. I did I did have a minister uh, when we were talking about this broadcast today. Uh, she said that's the only thing I disagree with was him calling his name. But on my mm. understanding of it is, well, that is the world's fault because they promoted his name. It's his, it's his name that is the face of this whole perversion. So right. to me, by you addressing it, you called that perversion out by name. So I thought you was correct in doing it, but I mean, whatever you know, your conviction is with the Lord. But uh, either yeah, way, well, I'm not. Is, I'm, you would, yeah, I'm not saying that I that I believe that it was a sin for me to put his name up there. I'm just saying oh, that okay. uh, I could have said the same thing without his name, and since since right. I could have. Probably should have. <laughs> yeah. Well, now, okay, so everything's kind of up in the air. Uh, it's still fluid, in other words. So now, before we listen to your sermon, I would like for you to talk to all the ministers out there in the country um, about what you went through and what you've learned. What would you say to ministers across the country in this hour that we're living in? Well, I would just want to give um, ministers of the gospel who are listening to this or listening to, um, um, you know, who are listening to to my voice here. Um, it is better better to be burned at the stake with Christ than to have all the riches of this passing world without Him. 
It's better to store up for yourself treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break and steal, than to live for this passing world. Um, This life is fading, the Bible says. It's a vapor. It's like grass. Um, Today, like flowers, today it grows up, tomorrow it's thrown in the oven. Um, We've only been given one life to live and then the resurrection. And we need to use this life as lights in a dark world, as ambassadors yeah. of Christ. And Christ, yeah. you know, this syrupy, lovey-dovey Christ of American evangelicalism is not the Christ of the Bible. The author of Hebrews <laughs> says of Christ, he says of Christ, you have loved righteousness and hated evil. Therefore, God, your yeah. God, has anointed you. With the oil of gladness above your companions. God, Jesus is, Jesus yes. is known by his hatred of wickedness, by his love for righteousness. Yes. Um, yes. People love to quote, misquote 1 Corinthians 13 because of its great explanation of love. And they leave out verse 6, which says, Love does not rejoice in evil or sin, but rejoices in the truth. Real love warns. Real love rebukes. Real love yes. Oh, well, Pastor, as Forrest Gump says, thing. that's all I got to say about that. <laughs> well, <laughs> yes, listen, I want the church to come together in agreement with me. All of you that are watching on online and all of you that are listening across the world, uh, we want to pray for him, and then we're going to take a commercial break. And when we come back, we are going to hear the epic sermon. I mean, this is like epic for the hour that we are in. So, sir, we want to pray for you, Lord. The bride across the world, we come together in unison, Lord, today for our brother who is in the fire. Lord, we know that you carry him in the fire and that you have brought him here for such a time as this, Lord. We trust what you're doing in this man's life, Lord. And we trust you, too, that you are the author and the finisher of his faith, Lord. And you knew exactly what was going to lead him to this point, Lord. And you know exactly how to make that crooked path straight. So, Lord, we lift up our brother's arms right now, Lord, while he's suffering, while he's hurting through all of this that's taking place. And we just speak encouragement into him, Lord. We speak a blessing into him. All that he needs to be sustained in his life, grant it unto him, Lord. I pray over this denomination, Lord. This is not only a test of Mr. Hoke. This is a test of the denomination. God has brought this denomination to a national attention. And how they handle this crisis is going to reflect on their integrity to the whole United States and to the church, that is. Lord, we pray that the governing board of this denomination will stand behind this pastor, that they will be affirmed in what they believe more than ever, and that they will take the church back over. And they will say, we will stand in righteousness, and everyone that does not want to be a part of that, you're welcome to leave. But have it to where the denomination does not back off and retreat, but where they take 
you know, territory is just what I'm feeling. But, Lord, we pray that you would help them uh, to recognize that this is about a global attention to them as well and that your grace, Lord, will be upon them just as your grace is upon Pastor Hoke, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for the charge that you're giving him to the nation, the charge that you're giving him to other ministers, Lord, to be bold in this hour. And the word that came forth about the spirit of Antichrist and not buying or selling and all that, Lord, help us, Lord, to have a revelation of what he is trying to say about this because that is the stronghold that they are trying to do to stifle the church. So, Lord, we pray that your church will rise across this country today and that Mr. Hoke will be a great example to them, Lord. We pray for his wife. Lord, we pray the blood of Jesus over her from the top of her head to the soles of her feet. Lord, we pray you give her sweet sleep, Lord. Heal her body from the top of her head to the soles of her feet. Lord, help her as she supports him. And help the family unit tonight, Lord. We support them and we wrap our arms of love around them, Lord. And we thank you that you have brought this to national attention because you're calling the church to come out of their closets, come out of their shells, Lord. So today we just give you honor and glory for what you have done in his life. And we trust you, Lord, that you are going to continue with his journey because you are the faithful one. You are faithful to finish what you began. And we give you glory tonight, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Pastor, thank you so much for spending time with us tonight. Bride, we're going to take a quick commercial. When we come back, you get hold on because you are going to hear a sermon for sure so hold just one moment right good evening bride this is your host tonight the president of we are the bride ministries i just want to take this time to thank you for listening to we are the bride radio watv radio and for watching us on WATV.TV. Listen, Bride, this month is our four-year anniversary, officially on the radio. We would like to thank all of our listeners across the world. It is a shocking fact that half of our listeners are in the United States, and the other half is abroad. Thank you so much. It has been our pleasure to interview over 300 ministers in four years. It is our philosophy that we encourage you to be successful because we need every person doing their part, every person to be successful in ministry. It's all about missions, you know, the mission that God has for you. So I speak blessings over all of you. Thank you for partnering with We Are the Bride Ministries. May God richly bless you, Bride. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at WATV Radio. Also, you can check us out WATVRadio.com and WATV.TV and WeAreTheBride.us. God bless you, Bride.
All right, Brad, here we go. Well, good morning, everyone. Before we go into the preaching of the Word this morning, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, I come before you in the name of Jesus. I come before you weak. And I pray, Father, that you would show yourself mighty in my weakness. That you would grant me to preach with power and unction. That you would grant these words that are preached, if they are faithfully faithful to your word, that they would be used to greater conform us into the image of Christ. Lord, I lift up to you our community, and I pray that you would pour out your Spirit upon our community, that you would grant to us to see revival in our day, that you would grant us to see men and women coming to the truth, fleeing, fleeing from the wrath to come. Yes. I pray these things in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Our passage this morning... Is from Ezekiel chapter 33. I'll be giving an exposition primarily of the first six verses, but we'll be reading the first nine. So again, let us give our reverent attention to the reading and hearing of God's most holy word. Ezekiel chapter 33, beginning in verse 1. Again, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, speak to the children of your people, and say to them, When I bring the sword upon a land, and the people of the land take a man from their territory and make him their watchman, when he sees the sword coming upon the land, if he blows the trumpet and warns the people, then whoever hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning, if the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be on his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet but did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself. But he who takes warning will save his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet, and the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity. But his blood I shall require at the watchman's hand. So you, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them for me. When I say to you or to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But his blood I will require at your hand. Nevertheless, if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. Hmm. The title of this morning's message is Love Warns. Love Warns. It has been a little bit more than three years now since the Supreme Court issued its ruling effectively changing the definition of marriage in our nation. 
And the popular slogan that almost immediately began to pop up everywhere were the two words, love wins. Love wins. The idea being that the power behind the court's ruling was love. Love has won out over bigotry. Love has won out over the morality of some outdated book. Love has won out over God and religion. But I would suggest to you, beloved, that it is not love which is one. What has persisted in culture to the point that, has, that it is now demanding the redefinition of marriage is nothing more than, than childish and simplistic sensuality. What the world calls love is not love at all. Rather, it is extreme, mutually agreed upon selfishness, which knows nothing of sacrifice, nothing of servanthood, nothing at all of seeking another's highest good. Maybe one of the best reflections of this selfish love of our society are the, are, is the trend in modern-day wedding vows. It has become popular in recent times for couples to write their own vows, and, and really they're not vows at all, but merely a list of things which, which we find really attractive about the other person. Oh, I love how you make me feel. Oh, I love how you make me smile. I love how you add adventure to my life. Instead of promising faithful, loving support for as long as they both shall live, they explain all the benefits that they've gotten out of the relationship. Wow. It's all about me and what I get from you. Wow. And it's almost as if there's a veiled threat. If you stop providing me these things, if you stop providing me these things that, that, that make you so, so, so desirable to me, well, then you've broken the contract. And we're done. Why do you think divorce is such a high rate in our nation? As a joke in the 80s, Carol Burnett changed the traditional wedding vows in her TV show Mama's Family from as long as we both shall live to as long as we both think it's a good idea. Today many have become so crass that they've changed those vows to as long as we're still in love. Beloved, our culture has no clue what love is. Yeah. Love in our culture means leave me alone so that I can sin in peace. It means stir me up to romantic feelings so that I can enjoy the bliss of, of romantic emotion as a drug. And sadly, it's not just the secular culture. If you've listened to Christian radio at all in the last, in the last several decades, you've likely heard the constant stream of popular songs saying that you can't love others unless you love yourself first. Love has been reduced to me selfishly enjoying what I want, when I want, and as much as I want. And if you don't agree with me, it's because you're unloving. Unless you're an evangelical, then it's because you're not Christ-like. Our passage this morning is about real love. How it should look. How it will be received. How God will treat those who claim to be loving yet are not. So with that said, let us look again at our text. Verse 1. 
Again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, speak to the children of your people and say to them, When I bring the sword upon a land, and the people of that land take a man from their territory and make him their watchman, when he sees the sword coming upon the land, if he blows the trumpet and warns the people, then whoever hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning, if the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be on his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet, but did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself. I want you to notice those first words of the text which say, The Word of the Lord came to me. The Word of the Lord came to me. I hope you you grasp how important that statement is. Today as the wicked puff out their their, their chests rejecting our, our warnings, they're emboldened by popular unbelief that rejects the Bible as God's Word most of which is sadly coming from liberal churches and seminaries. And worse, many of these apostates now want to call themselves conservative evangelicals. Tony Campolo is just one of these apostates. Claiming to be an evangelical, he teaches that only the red letters of the Bible are the Word of God. Rejecting the rest of the Bible, he attempts to twist the words of Jesus into teaching that God approves of and blesses all matter of sin and wickedness. The famous evangelical singer Don Francisco, who wrote one of my favorite songs in the 70s, he too is an apostate. He said in a recent interview, My problems begin with those who try to make this book, referring to the Bible, into a God. There's only one foundation, Jesus Christ. And anyone who attempts to build on another will be using an unstable and deadly cornerstone. I understand those of you who have drunk the Kool-Aid, those of you who believe in the inerrancy and infallibility thing, Because I, because you've been taught to believe it, I used to be one of you. But it is time to rise from the dead and to believe the gospel. For those of you who intentionally use this doctrine, the doctrine of biblical inerrancy to control others, may God have mercy on your soul. What are the practical implications of Mr. Francisco's words, beloved? If you tell people what God says is right and wrong, what God says is true and false, what God says is good and evil, then you're being, then you're being unloving by trying to control them. If you warn them of sin and its consequences and take seriously a command like the one found in our passage this morning, you're so wrong, you're so unloving, you're so filled with hate that he concludes with the words, May God have mercy on your soul. I hope the irony is not lost on you, beloved. I mean, he's literally warning us that we're in danger of God's judgment if we would dare use the Bible to warn others that they're in danger of God's judgment. And where does Mr. Francisco's prophetic warning come from? Well, it doesn't come from the Bible, because it would be wrong and hateful to try to control others with the Bible. You see, apparently for Mr. Francisco, the Bible is not infallible, but his own opinions are. 
Sadly, beloved, Mr. Francisco, like so many other so-called evangelicals these days, are doing nothing. He is doing nothing more than copying the words of his father. Who said to Eve in the garden, you will not surely die as God has said. Rather, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Mr. Francisco's words, like the words of the serpent, are lies. And yet they come with both confidence and conviction, do they not? Why? Because he believes that his eyes are open. That he is like God and that he can judge for himself what is good and what is evil. God tells us plainly in our passage and throughout Scripture that love warns. That love reproves, that love rebukes, that love corrects. And what is the content of love's warning, beloved? Notice the words of the text. God says, when I bring the sword upon the land. When I bring the sword upon the land. The watchman's duty is to warn those of the coming, uh, of the danger of God's coming wrath. A fact which is made even more evident in verse 7. So you son of man, I have made a watchman over the house of Israel. Therefore you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them for me. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way, the wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. The watchman's duty is to warn of God's coming judgment. To warn of God's intended wrath. And the authority behind the warning is not that of the watchman but that of the God who sent him. We do not make powerless threats based upon our own opinions like Don Francisco. We stand on the word of God as his heralds, as his messengers. This is the very reason why Satan seeks to attack the word of God. Because if he can convince those who hear our warning that these warnings are simply the opinions of the watchman and not really the Word of God, then maybe, just maybe, he can get them to silence the alarm. Love in American thought, beloved, has become demanding that the noisy alarm be shut off. It is now called hate to call sin, sin. It is now called hate to warn those in harm's way of God's soon coming judgment. But it is in this very passage that we find God's motive behind sending His watchmen to sound the alarm. This is what we read in verse 11. He says, Say to them, as I live, says the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Make no mistake, beloved, this passage is not teaching in contradiction to the rest of Scripture the idea that God is helplessly hoping that men will save themselves by turning from evil. It is rather a declaration of God's compassion and His justice. 
On the one hand, it is compassion because all men deserve God's wrath. Yet God sends His divine warning to all men. On the other hand, it is justice because no one will be able to say to God on the day of judgment, I never knew your warning. Not only has God enlisted all of creation to testify of His coming judgment, which is what Paul tells us in Romans 1 very clearly, but God has also graciously commissioned His church and left her in the world to go to all the world as watchmen, calling us the pillar and ground of the truth, calling us to be salt and light, testifying not only of the coming wrath of God, but also Graciously calling all men to repentance. Offering all who have ears to hear the way of escape. I'm grieved today that just three years after the Supreme Court's wicked wicked ruling, as I look around at the church in our nation, I'm grieved because she's hiding Beloved, why why was Daniel cast into the lion's den? We read it this morning. Why was he cast into the lion's den? It was because even though he was commanded not to pray, he publicly defied those who who, who made it against the law to obey God. The text tells us that when Daniel knew It was no mistake that he went up to his room to pray. It says, when Daniel knew that Darius had signed the decree making it illegal for him to pray, he went and prayed. And he didn't close his window. He didn't hide his light under a basket. He prayed for all to see. Why was it that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were cast into the fiery furnace? It was because they publicly defied those who made obedience to God against the law. In our day, it's not even against the law yet to call sin, sin. And yet the church won't do it for fear of persecution, for fear of being hated and rejected by men. Oh, beloved, the King Himself has commissioned us. The King Himself has commissioned us to be watchmen. He's commanded us to love them and to love them with a love that is willing to endure their hatred that they might hear the truth. To love them with a love that is willing to sacrifice self for another's highest good. To love them with a love like Jesus had. Think about it. Jesus came for the very purpose of being despised and rejected of men. The Bible calls him a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Jesus came knowing that he would be hated, knowing that he would be beaten, knowing that he would be killed, but he came anyway that he might redeem his people from their sins. Here's my pithy quote for the sermon. 
Jesus were here today, the culture wouldn't have time to kill him. The church would beat him to it. Because he came with a message of warning. Because he came calling men to repentance. Do you know that it wasn't some fire-breathing fundamentalist Baptist who said repent or perish? Those are the words of Jesus Christ in John chapter 8. He also said that he didn't come to call the righteous to repentance, but sinners. There's no salvation Do you understand that? There is no salvation for those who believe that their rebellion to God is blessed by God. And while the world has stopped up its ears and said, it is bigotry and it is hatred to call homosexuality sin, the Bible tells us that if we see the wrath of God coming upon the wicked and we say nothing, their blood shall be upon our hands. So yes, we endure their hate, which they are deluded enough to call love. Why? Because they, excuse me, because we, just like they, deserve the wrath of God. We are no better. We deserve the wrath of God, and we, like they, have only one means of escape. And as long as they have breath in their lungs, there remains hope that they might be numbered among God's elect. We've not been left here, beloved, to hide our light under a basket. To hide our light under a bed. Love warns. It is hatred, it is selfishness which conceals love, which conceals truth. And the next thing that I would like us to focus on are the words found in verses 4 and 5. Then whoever hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning, if the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be on his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet but did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself. In the parable of the soils, Jesus tells us that some soil will be hard soil. The gospel seed that we scatter will not penetrate the hard ground and the birds of the air will take away the seed. The gospel that we we, we preach is not merely a call to faith in Christ, but it is also a warning of judgment. It is also a call to repentance. And I would suggest to you, beloved, that one of the greatest ways we can show those around us that we love them is by, willing to, by, by our willingness to endure their hatred on account of the truth. Just as Jesus was willing to be hated on account of the truth. His loving approach to evangelism was not an attempt to woo the gospel hardened with promises of a better life. He was no Joe Osteen. Lying to men, telling them of of, of all the, the, the great benefits that God wants them to have, or promising them their best life now. If this is your best life now, then you've got hell to look forward to in eternity. 
Our treasure, Jesus says, is not to be stored on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but in heaven. For those who were gospel-hardened, the loving message of Jesus was judgment is coming. Repent or perish and don't take too long because the day is coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father and a large portion of that crowd is going to hell. Cast not your pearls to swine is a command which American evangelicals generally disregard. We pretend that the gospel hardened or merely hardened because we've not come up with a clever enough sales pitch to woo them into our church. The truth is, our message, the true gospel faithfully heralded, is only for those who have ears to hear. And if you want to know who the swine are, simply share the gospel faithfully. Don't remove the sting of the offense of the gospel. Simply share it faithfully and wait. The ones who trample it under their feet and then turn and seek to trample you and devour you, those are the swine. These we warn of coming judgment and then we kick the dust off our feet and we move on. I'm not saying that today's swine will not be tomorrow's saint. God is in the business of converting swine and for that I'm personally very grateful. But dear ones, when we offer the gospel-hardened promises of peace with God and a better life while they are rejecting God's terms of peace, we show the Holy Spirit disrespect and contempt. For it is the Holy Spirit who grants life to the spiritually dead. He is the one who makes the gospel the sweet aroma of life to those who are being saved. And He is the one, no matter how hard you don't want to hear it, no matter how bad you don't want to hear it, He is the one who makes it the stench of death to those whom He is hardening. And the reason the Bible uses this type of word picture is so that we will see the lesson in our very mind. Those being softened by the Holy Spirit, they're going to look, when they hear the gospel, they're going to look like the old Tom and Jerry cartoons. You know, old Tom and Jerry cartoons? What are you talking about, Pastor? You remember. Tom would be busy chasing Jerry, and someone takes a pie and puts it in an oven. And then you see animated smoke wafting out. Some of you are seeing it in your mind right now. And it literally picks... Old Tom up by his nose, lifts him off the ground, and carries him back to the source. If the Holy Spirit is granting the gospel to be the aroma of life to someone, they're not going to be arrogant and hostile against it. And when we persist in promising peace and hope and, and the love of God to those who are visibly hardened to the gospel, we're not loving them, we're loving ourselves. We're acting like we care more that they like us than we're concerned that they hear the warning of God. It is not unloving to warn of God's coming wrath. It is not unloving to call rebels to repentance. As our passage plainly states, or as plainly teaches, love warns. Love warns. 
Return again to the text. Verse 6, But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet and the people are not warned and the sword comes and takes any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. I've spent most of the message this morning with my finger pointed away from us. Focusing on those who are unfaithful with the Gospel. Those who are hardened to the Gospel. But now the text demands that we aim the finger of God's Word at ourselves. If you're a Christian, then you're one who has been granted to see and to flee the coming wrath. And yet, God has left you in this sin-cursed world. Why? Why has He left you here? Is it so that you can be a good citizen? So is it that you can quietly live your Christian life in front of others, making them wonder, why is He so happy all the time? Is it so you can come to church and hear the Gospel faithfully proclaimed and boast how your church is better than others because you get to hear the truth? I get the feeling as I observe the church in America that many, even in faithful congregations, like I assume ours is, like I believe ours is, that they don't get the fact that we've been called to be watchmen. That we've been called to warn those around us of God's fierce hatred of sin and His coming wrath. That we've been called to be salt and light. That we've been called to be the pillar and buttress of the truth. Now you might be tempted to say, well, well, wait a minute here. You're a pastor. And old Ezekiel... He was a prophet of God. Of course, it's your ministry. You are supposed to warn. And you're supposed to rebuke. And you're supposed to correct. But, but I'm just a soccer mom. Or I'm just a, a, a retired grandmother. Or I'm, I'm just a kid. That's right, boys. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you. If you partake of the wine and the bread and testify that you've seen your sin, that you know that God's wrath is coming upon all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men, and that your hope of escape from the coming wrath is not your own righteousness, but rather the righteousness of Jesus credited to you, then I'm talking to you. Whoever you may be, I'm talking to you. Notice what the Lord says to Ezekiel. But if the watchman sees, if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet and the people are not warned and the sword comes and takes any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. And again in verse 8, when I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked man from his way, the wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Has God not revealed to us? Has He not shown us, beloved, that His righteous wrath is coming upon all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men? Have you not seen? Do you not know? Has the Scripture not testified to you that the wrath of God is coming? Has He not commanded us to bring the message of repentance and peace with God through the cross of Christ to all people? Beloved, it is precisely because we've been granted to know that God's wrath is coming that the warning of this text is for us. 
because we're the ones who have seen the sword. And we're the ones who have been commissioned with a message of warning for all people. Because all people are born into this world, born under the wrath of God. And we've been granted to know that the punish, what the punishment for our sin deserves. A punishment so great. A punishment so great that just to pay our debt, the Son of God Himself had to endure in His own body the full measure of the Father's wrath for our sins. As He cried out upon the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Love, dear ones, demands that we warn the world around us of the great and terrible wrath which awaits the sons of disobedience. In a sermon on Romans 1.18, John MacArthur explains it like this. He says, How can people understand anything about love if they don't understand God's hate? How can they understand anything about His grace if they don't know about His law? How can they understand forgiveness if they don't understand the penalty of sin? Men cannot understand. They cannot seek grace and salvation unless they are affected by the dread of the wrath of God that is resting upon them. Please hear me, beloved. I'm not suggesting that God would manipulate you through guilt to warn those around you of His coming wrath. I'm not telling you that God has given us His command. Uh, I, 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 excuse me, I'm telling you that God has given us His command and that if we have no desire to obey that command, then the warning of the passage is for us. God is not saying that those who refuse to warn are, 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 are real Christians, but, but they're going to get to feel really guilty in heaven because they didn't share the gospel. That is utter unbiblical nonsense. Nature itself testifies that if you will not warn people of soon, of sure coming harm, then it can only mean one of two things. Either you don't truly believe that harm is coming, or you do not love those in harm's way enough to care that they are perishing. I mean, seriously, who would be so cold? Who would be so unloving as to see a burning building full of people seemingly unaware of the danger that they face and not at least holler out, flee or you're going to perish? Love doesn't win when the voice of warning is silenced. Love doesn't win when, when peace with God is preached apart from repentance. Love does not win when we love our comfort in this passing world so much that we cover up the truth to avoid conflict. Biblical love, beloved, is not selfish. Biblical love is selfless. It's not superficial. It's sacrificial. Considers others as more important than self. As Jesus said, love, greater love has no one than this, 
than to lay down one's life for his friends. Despite what Christian radio would have you to believe, the second greatest commandment is not we must learn to love ourselves before we can love others. No, beloved, we must love our neighbor as we love ourselves. If we will not warn others, their blood will be on our hands. It's not a threat to manipulate us to do what we really don't want to do. It's just a fact. If you have no urgency to warn others, it's either because you don't love them or you don't believe that they're in any real danger. And both sadly testify of a heart that's not been regenerated. A heart that's not been born again. And I'm not saying that we're perfect in our evangelism, and nor am I saying that we should condemn ourselves for past or even future failures. I'm saying that if we claim to have fellowship with, with God and yet we remain in darkness, we, we, we claim to love God and yet we have no desire, no urgency, no passion to obey Him, we lie and we do not practice the truth. The Bible says that we love Him because He first loved us. Beloved, we love Him because He first loved us and we love our neighbors because He first loved us. The one who's been born again is one who is grateful for the warning that brought him to repentance. He knows that God's justice will be poured out upon the sons of disobedience and he labors to warn others because he loves others and he knows that love warns. Let's pray. Glorious Heavenly Father, Brad, this has been a pleasure tonight uh, to play his sermon because this, remember when he said he preached this sermon, it was the week before that he put the sign out um, about when he confronted this demon of homosexuality and transgender and the lie of our culture and the lie of our day. So by the time he preached this, it was already, uh, he was already under fire from the community, from the church. So this was, he he was preaching this in the midst of the storm. So if you remember him this week, Bride, uh, no matter when you listen to this broadcast, please pray for Pastor Hoke uh, and pray for his family. Thank you so much for tuning in with us tonight, Brian. God bless you. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you're ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. 
Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen.